it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard and this week, as we prepare for BrewCon, we have a special bonus episode of Beer is a Conversation as we meet Ed Jamison, Head of Marketing for Fermentum Craft Beer Company and Richard Crow, Head of Supply Chain, also for Fermentum. Regular readers of our news servers will have been following the gradual restructure and rationalisation of Lions Craft business that has seen breweries such as Tiny Mountain in Townsville and more recently Two Birds in Melbourne close and Bevy Brewing in Perth rebranded as a Little Creatures Brew Pub. It turns out that that was all paving the way for a much more significant restructure that sees all of the Lion Craft businesses come under the badge of Fermentum the Stone and Wood parent company that Lion acquired in September 2021 and has now been renamed Fermentum Craft Beer Company. With the restructure bringing OG craft brewery Little Creatures under the Fermentum badge and all of the other changes that have been taking place in the Lion craft portfolio, I was interested to hear from Ed and Rich, who are two of the three people tasked with leading Lion's new craft division, about what it means for Lion, but also for beer drinkers and for beer in general. I don't know about you, but I've had many questions since the acquisition of one of Australia's most significant independent craft breweries and how it would come to be integrated into the broader line business. It was a long period of restructure and now is the time that I get to ask many of them. As you'll hear, it's a robust conversation and I get to ask those questions and I genuinely appreciate Ed and Richard's willingness to engage and answer them. I hope you find it a fascinating conversation. Richard Crow and Ed Jamison, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. In the Stone and Wood Brewery in Brisbane, uh, that and uh, which is we're sort of launching some big news from, well, bigish news from Line for people who look at internal organisation announcements of uh, businesses. Uh, do you want to talk us through a little bit about what what's going on with uh, the Fermentum business these days? Yeah, well. Um we are really excited to be able to share that um, we are bringing all of the Lion Craft brands under the Fermentum Craft Beer Co. banner, um, and uh, you know, br- uh, you know, Ed jump in and uh, go through the brands specifically, but of course includes Stone and Wood, uh, the brands you're familiar with from Fermentum over the years, but mm-hmm. also now includes the likes of Little Creatures, Kosciuszko, etc. And um, so, really excited to share that, and of course, perhaps to some extent, introduce ourselves. Myself, um, looking after the head of uh, supply chain, uh, Jason Thomas, not here today, but looking after sales. Um, and myself, Ed, looking after the head of marketing for Fermentum. So, yeah. yeah. Actually, we haven't had you on the podcast uh, previously, Ed. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background within Line and within the, 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 the drinks category itself. Yeah, I'd love to. So, I've been at, I've been at Lion for 11 years. I started at Lion in 2012. And before that, I was actually at Diageo for a few years um, prior to that in agency world. So, and in agency world in alcohol as well, working for Diageo. So, I've been in the alcohol industry for going on 15 years, um, actually a bit over 15 years now. 
but in my tenure at at, uh, at Lion, I've worked across basically every brand from a marketing perspective, um, coming in as a brand manager on Tui's New back in 2012. Um, still the house in days for, for Tui's New in New South Wales, but I've worked across many, many brands, both partner brands and proprietary brands. So I worked across Corona as well in its, uh, in its early years in Australia as well, but um, culminating in, in where I am now in the, in the fermented business. Lions had a bit of a, a injection from Diageo of recent years. David Smith, who's the uh, general manager uh, or managing director, um, uh, is Diageo the uh, chairman? Is from Diageo as well, I believe. The um, Sam Fisher is uh, Sam our Fisher, CEO. Sorry, CEO, right. sorry, yeah, that's right. Um, uh, both from Diageo, so there, there seems to have been a, a little bit of a you know move in, into line from Diageo. What do you think? Lion has been able to learn from uh, Diageo? Probably, I'll answer the question in two ways. The reason why we're seeing a lot of great talent come from Diageo to Lion is the strength of our portfolio as well. But we've got, we've got some of the most enviable brands in the, in the Australian beer market. And um, so we're seeing great talent come across to Lion. But we're also learning, I think, I think getting a lot of the structural learnings from Diageo as well. And having time at Diageo some time ago, um, they're... Uh, we, we run a similar structure now to the way that Diageo have run their business in the past, I believe, but from a marketing and a sales sales perspective. Um, but yeah, I think that's the, that's the reason well, they're coming over and what we're learning from Diageo as a business, yeah. I guess you have to um, get in the line about the strong brands and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of those strong brands. I might get emails from uh, CUB wanting to debate that, um, but uh, we, we, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the brands. Of course. Um, but actually, may, maybe that's a good uh, way to do that. Um, Fermentum is now going to become the catch-all business for all of the Lion craft beer brands. And, you know, I, I guess for some it would be a little bit surprising that Little Creatures is being assumed by the Fermentum business. Yeah, it was a, it was a natural fit to bring um, the Lion craft portfolio, which was known as Malt Shovel to many people in the industry, into Fermentum um, in that, um, we, we, that forms the two tentpole brands in the Fermentum portfolio being Stone and Wood and Little Creatures. And the strength in the, the um, Fermentum brand and the size of Stone and Wood allowed us to bring the Malt Shovel brands under that as a banner and change it from Fermentum to Fermentum Craft Beer Company, um, bringing those two great teams and two great portfolios together under the one banner. But it doesn't bring in the James Squire brands, which again, Malt Shovel spawned James Squire, but these days James Squire doesn't fit within the Lion craft beer portfolio? That's right. So at the moment, it sits in Australian Premium mm-hmm. in our portfolio, along with a number of other brands uh, that, we, that we deem Australian Premium or International Premium. So that's treated separately to this portfolio at the moment, yeah. Why is that? Again, James Squire was the original craft brand, some, some would argue. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know... It was their gateway into the idea of craft. What is it about the brand and the way that that's evolved that it's seen as a mainstream beer these days? Less, less so mainstream, and I think we're seeing it as, um, as still a step up um, product and mm-hmm. brand within yep. within the category. And we're constantly reviewing the segmentation of our brands, and we also take into that consideration how our customers and our retailers and our um, on-premise venues are segmenting how they treat our brands as well. Mm-hmm. So um, the construct of our craft portfolio is constantly being reviewed. So I think in time we'll understand the, the, the role of James Squire in its, in its entirety better. I mean, even just to put it within a mainstream 
within the business sure. and the, the fact that customers and your retailers now see it as well I, I presume that they're not seeing it as craft as a craft brand anymore if you guys have put it into another category within your own business and that's certainly a piece of positioning that we're that, that we're undertaking for james squire at the moment so i think in time that'll become far clearer for us as a business and um and james squire still remains as a really important brand within our portfolio irrespective of where it's segmented within our business yeah, yeah. But from a, I mean, from a marketing point of view, what is the difference? You know, what what is, you know, what what are those, um, you know, fields of uh, a mainstream brand compared to a craft brand that would see it seen differently from you know little creatures and uh, stone and wood? Again, I think it's a there's a there's a functional play but you could argue that there's functional similarities for James Squire to some of other craft brands but again as we as we look at how we position that brand emotionally and socially mm. how we're pulling that brand um, and finding distinction in our portfolio and in the category um, that'll unlock what, what its role is uh, now and in the future so that works being undertaken at the moment yeah okay but well the works being d- d- there's been a restructure um, that's taken place. So clearly, there is a view about what James Squire is uh, in, in in the business. You know, that's and, and what, what does that mean, for example, um, from the, what it would sponsor, the sorts of events it would be involved in, um, uh, shaped. You know, what, what's the average consumer for a James Squire beer these days versus a little creature? Gotcha. There's look, we're seeing crossover across a lot of these. A lot of these brands. Um, what we do know is that um, James Squire is a slightly older consumer mm-hmm. than, than what we'd otherwise expect in some of the other brands in our portfolio we see in the category. Um, but I mean, I can speak with more confidence, obviously, about Little Creatures and yeah. the brands within my portfolio at the moment. But uh, what I will say is that we're we are constantly looking at the construct of our craft portfolio that Rich, myself, and JT are the are the custodians of. Um, so in time, I think there'll be a whole lot more clarity and we'll continue to review what brands are, are, are comprised within that portfolio. So I'm, I'm sure it'll be a live conversation that we'll continue yeah. to talk about over the next couple of years. And again, none of this is about beer. Like this is just me trying to understand of course, um, of course. You know, how a big business runs um, and what, what it means for, for beers that, you know, uh, it's... it's there's an irony in the fact that little creatures invested in a very, very fledgling stone and wood, and these days is now, for want of a better term, subsumed into the business that stone and wood went on to to become. Um, and yet, an, another brand like uh, Little uh, um, uh, James Squire is is separate, even though once upon a time they were three of the key craft beer brands. Of course. Um, so yeah, so I mean, where do you, what drives a restructure like this to see brands such as uh, well, we've got um, Stonewood, Little Creatures. Where does Furphy sit these days? Is it mainstream, premium, or is it craft? That's right. So and we're, we're focused. I mean, we're focused Furphy particularly on Victoria. Yep. Um, it's it's its home state. Um, as a craft brand or as a. No, it's it's in Australian Premium for us okay, as well. Yep, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 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 what other brands now fall within Fermentum? So within Fermentum, we've got um, Stone and Wood. We've got Little Creatures, yep. Fixation, White Rabbit, Kosciuszko, Voodoo Ranger, Yamundi, uh, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Make up the the co- and uh, Little Dragon sits in there as our alcoholic ginger beer as well. So okay. that's the composition of our Fermentum 
crappy company portfolio, yeah. And and what does bringing those brands, you know, a major brewery like Little Creatures under the Fermentum brand, what does that, you know, from a business um, point of view, what, what does that give to Lion? Um, is there a different sales team that is selling those beers? Are they marketed differently? You know, how are those things structured? Yeah, absolutely. So for Fermentum, we're, we're fortunate in the way that we've structured, deliberately structured the Fermentum craft beer company is in some ways... Um, not in its purest sense, but um, independent to, to Lion. So it's it's represented in the leadership team structure that you'll see Rich, myself and Jason mm-hmm. leading the business, but also the structure and how we've made up our supply chain, our marketing teams and our sales force. So we have an independent sales force selling these craft beers that we have within our portfolio. Mm-hmm. We have a marketing team that's independent to the Lion marketing team in a lot of ways and our supply chain. Um, Rich can maybe talk a bit more about how supply chain is comprised as well. Yeah, I mean, with regard to the breweries, it's the breweries you, you'd know from past experience that sat within our in our group, so particularly Mewillenbar, but otherwise also our Byron Breweries, Fixation, um, as well as the brewery we're sitting in right now. Yep. And what we actually you know, have the relative luxury, I'd say, um, of having now been part of the uh, wider line business is the ability to access capability and capacity that we otherwise wouldn't have. So a good example is, um, let's take Little Dragon. There's a, you know, a world-class um, RTD production facility at Forex. Hence, we're able to uh, tap mm-hmm. into the skills and expertise um, of the team here. Likewise, Green Coast Crisp at Tui's. And uh, who better to do a Claire Flint contemporary beer and, and also Geelong, Absolutely world-class craft brewery helping and supporting with Southern States Pacific Ale. So um, between, I, I suppose, a network approach to delivering products to the market, we've, whereas previously what we had done is, I know you're well aware of using co-packers. Yep. And we're able to bring it back into the family. So it's been, that's been a, a fantastic shift since we've joined the Lion Group. Although I mean, you mentioned co-packing, that was always something that when we would speak to Jamie Cook was very much against uh, Stone and Wood's DNA. They wanted to maintain the control um, and it wasn't until negotiations were fairly advanced for the sale to Lion that the decision to make Green Coast Crisp off, uh, you know, off campus um, became a, uh, a, 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 an option. Um, you know, is, is there an advantage to Stone and Wood to have, you know, the one business, you know, so it's co-packing in a way, but it's co-packing in, in its own company. Yeah, I mean, the obvious advantage is, for, for a start, um, we have so much trust around the quality and delivery of those products. That's so a good starting point. Um, whereas when we had used co-packers in the past, and we'd done it for a number of products, it allowed us to test new products without necessarily having to invest uh, in a big way mm-hmm. at Mawillambar, for example. So... Um, we could test and trial, and in, in this scenario, we still have that benefit, but with the, the relative luxury of having teams and people that you can know firsthand. Um, and of course, the other big piece around it is, um, and not having to invest heavily from a capital sense, in, in our brewery network when there's capacity available and capability, like I say, otherwise. So that might be technology, um, it might just be tax, tax base, um, definitely expertise and sometimes geographically there's an advantage to producing at these other sites as well so and i should i should say that with the co-packing i was talking just about the the beer lines because suddenly seltzer right, had yeah. been produced yes, off yes. Um, but beer had always been kept under stone and woods own control and 
that created significant capacity constraints for a long time uh, as, as part of Stonerwood's history. Yeah, I, and it had, and I obviously in my role had lived and breathed that. Many peaks had sweated, whether, whether it had enough stock, it was always a, I guess it's a nice problem to have. I think Copac also matured very much so as the years went on to be very reliable in terms of quality and delivery as well, and the likes of um, uh, ABC and, and Brick Lane and otherwise have done a great job in that, in that regard. So... Um, much more confidence, and 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 we saw a lot, a, a big proliferation in Copac opportunities, and one that we got to a point of comfort to access as well. Um, and those, like you say, in those early years, it was all in-house and held firm. What we're able to do in those in those last few years um, as an independent company, access to Copac is particularly for those new products uh, like Green Coast Crisp, and now have the relative luxury, like I say, of bring it in-house to some extent. Yep. You've also recently started talking about the plans for the uh, Moolumbar Brewery. Um, that was a core um, part of the, of, of the sale. Um, you've, you've shared uh, recently that you're not going to duplicate or you're not going to move to the Greenfield site and you're investing heavily in the existing site and upgrading that. Maybe you can share some of those uh, details with us. Yeah, and great to host you a few weeks mm. ago, Matt, mm. to show around the sites. Um, and I think the important thing here is the context uh, and a little bit of history on that. The new site was always, um, which was down the road from the present Moorlambar site, was always the sort of future-proof volume capacity play for Fermentum as an independent brewery, having to go alone capacity-wise. Um, and so that was announced. I, I, I recall perhaps two years, two and a half years ago, as the intention to build on that site. Once we joined the Lion Group, it didn't make as much sense, of course, to build that capacity ourselves when we had clear access within the group. So that's the first part uh, to answer that question. But secondly, what we, as we went through due diligence and understood it better, what we found with rising costs of um, building and otherwise, it was going to be a significant investment just to set up that site. It's, it's just a, as you as you saw when you visited, it's just a paddock at this stage. Um, we would have had to start from scratch with foundations, buildings, and, and spent significant tens of millions of dollars to even get a structure um, with which to relocate something a few hundred metres as the crow flies and then build on that. So when we did evaluate it in the new context within the line group, it was clear that it was much better investment um, and better use of resource fundamentally um, in our present site. And we were fortunate enough to have recently purchased that site. So we've moved from having leased it to purchased it. That has enabled us, uh, enabled us to really put our roots down there. We can get um, much better use for our spend. I mean, it's an old Bunnings shed, as you know, but we've become pretty fond of that old shed. Um, we're going to invest certainly in safety and quality, a lot of sustainability technology. There is some capacity, but it's not all about that. As mentioned, there's capacity otherwise. Uh, and, of course, the tasting room, which is really exciting for I guess for people in the community, I, I hope, but also for our team to have drinkers come and, and share a beer. I think that's what every brewery re really wants. So excited to be able to put our roots down and really firm up our commitment to the Northern Rivers and, and Mwilimba on the present site. And it was obviously a, a key promise of this, the, the, the sale. It was very important to, the, yeah. to, to the founders. It certainly makes good business sense, you know, the, the way you enunciate, um, you know, you, you get more bang for your buck, you can focus more yeah. on some of the um, environmental things, if, even if not expanding capacity, which was one of the original plans of the, uh, of the expansion. Yeah, and look, I've, I've um, 
you know, in, in years gone by, been involved in greenfield projects and, and they're exciting, but they can be very challenging and often from the startup don't work exactly as you, how you'd hope. Um, so we've got a well-established brewery, good rhythms, strong team. We won't have to run two sites concurrently. Um, it's much better use of our uh, resources, uh, as you mentioned. We'll get, um, aside from best cost, um, there's a much less waste you can imagine decommissioning a brewery, move to a new one, the amount of waste, and that doesn't sit comfortably with us. And the other thing is we'll, we'll move quicker towards getting a result from a time perspective, whereby a new build would have taken quite some years. The logistics of running two sites concurrently is very challenging as well. So makes a lot of sense. Um, the local council are very excited by it. Certainly um, the Tweed Coast and that, and, and that area is uh, booming in terms of food and beverage, and we hope to be a real... Um, apart from just the annual open day, we want to be a, a you know weekly drop-in for locals as well as being part of that trail. So uh, excited to uh, get cracking on that project. It, it, it's interesting. As I said, it all makes good business sense. But one of the things that the marketing and the storytelling that was always involved in Stone and Woods uh, is that we're more than a business. And, you know, I don't think one of the famous phrases that Jamie used was, we're a conscious business. And conscious businesses don't always make the most economic decision when there are other, you know, options available. Conscious business is still what we're about. It's very much deeply embedded in our DNA. And the key thing about a conscious business is that you're actually having to balance key stakeholders across um, and your considerations. Now, take, for example, the brew, this, this brewery build. Um, cost absolutely is one of our considerations because it's best cost in terms of our, our um, investment in terms of the company. And even harking back to those days of old, uh, you need to be profitable in, in order to do those good things with those other communities and in order to invest in um, sustainable technology. And what I guess we are seeing in the uh, market at large right now is it's tough circumstances. So uh, I think everyone will, will align with that thinking. First and foremost, you need to be profitable and think about that. And it was never forsaking cost for the sake of those other stakeholders as well. So in all of the decisions, there was always a tension between, hey, we want to get the best uh, result for our team, customers, environment, but also at the right cost. And, and you can't maximize every one of those 100%. Um, but the key thing is, and we continue to use this tool, is we, we use our um, conscious business wheel as we call it but it's, it's broadly speaking we consider all the key stakeholders in an even sense will you get a perfect result for all of them no by virtue of the design but um, th that continues to be something that guides us and it's been fantastic to see the likes of Ed and JT come in uh, and other team members joining Fermentum Craft Beer Co and really um, subscribing to that to that conscious business philosophy yeah absolutely and part of it is of course, our unwavering commitment to Ingrain Foundation. So since 2017, I think, Richard, we've donated over $2 million. Um, so we're incredibly proud of that and investing that back into our communities. And as Rich rightly points out, those prudent commercial decisions allow us to continually grow sustainably our business so we can continue to invest back into the communities. Um, but again, you know, I guess it's always one of those interesting things. A lot of businesses donate. A lot of businesses have generosity as part of it. The, the, the element of this idea of a conscious business goes much more deeply. And of course. I, I guess you know, one of the stakeholders was staff. And you know, after following the sale, um, you know, there were a lot of people that were inside the, the stone and wood business that were upset to, to find out because I think... You know, the way it was expressed to me that a lot of them felt 
independence was one of the core elements of Stone and Wood, um, and I. We saw a lot of staff leave, the, you know, people who weren't contracted leave um, early on, you know, and some of them, you know, clearly I can't say who, expressed that they felt that the business was different to what they, they joined. And, you know, how, how does being a conscious business fit in, you know, with aligning with the, the, the views of all of the, you know, staff? Yeah, look, I lived and breathed that transition, mm. of course, and, um, you know, what we... Well, I'll say first and foremost is independence in the true sense of ownership. Of course, that ship has sailed. Um, but under our new Fermentum Craft Beer Co. banner, you know, we retain that autonomy and, and have been, um, uh, for our sins, <laughs> given the craft beer um, business for Ed, myself and JT to, to steward. And that's exciting and daunting. Um, uh, and, and so we retain that sense of um, leading our craft the, the craft part of line but but exciting to have added bears it for example i've long admired little creatures being the obvious one but not limited to that um through that transition i wouldn't say a huge amount of people left that, that, that that's actually not the case but what we did say and i can say from my own perspective is there was that sort of moment after the sale um geez what will happen next but very quickly everyone realized you know geez we're still working with fantastic team members and you look across within the breweries or sales and marketing teams um and it's the people who have always defined fermented business as much as we've talked about independence and conscious business ethic and you'll see when we when i talk about the conscious business wheel team is at the top of that wheel for very good reason so um there was a at that transition obviously some people felt that was a logical time for them to seek other um, opportunities and they go with our blessing I, I mean i i see a lot of our almost call them fermentum alumni at breweries across and i'm talking from a brewing perspective right now breweries and packaging across australia i always drop in say hi have a beer it's fantastic little creatures had a similar legacy a few years ago we still see that today um but we still have a huge group of fantastic team members have welcomed them some um, new fantastic people, yourself included, Ed. Uh, but at the same, and, and you've yeah. welcomed in some, but at the same time, we've also seen a number well, of brewery closes and uh, businesses within the, you know, uh, brewers within the, um, what would now be part of the Fermentum portfolio. We've seen a lot of redundancies, you know, so clearly, uh, you know, not everyone has uh, benefited from the coming together. Yeah, what I will, and, and, and you know, the founders really were fantastic through that. So they used, again, used that wheel fundamentally to, to help guide even the conditions of that sale agreement. You know, for example, we're talking about supply, the condition of having to invest and purchase, uh, build a brewery. This is a significant and onerous condition, I'd argue. Um, but they did that because of their commitment to that wheel. And from a team perspective, we've had, um, as I know you well know, having talked to others who've um, been on your podcast, two years where employment was guaranteed. As we've come toward that period and end of that two years, we, we actually see ourselves, um, you know, for full transparency, around 15 permanent staff impacted, five of which have been uh, already successfully redeployed. Probably a benefit of within Fermentum or also Lion, which has been a great benefit of that. We continue to work with those other approximately 10 people. Hoping for redeployment, but also um, actively working with them for career transition opportunities. And like I say, we'll go with our blessing. So um, we've managed it absolutely as best we can. You know, teams always at the top of our mind. Um, but when when people do make that decision to leave the business, 
Um, they stay friends, I promise you that, and go with that absolute blessing. And, and, and the likes of Huey Doyle, for example, who was recently on the show, uh, remains a good mate. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've also seen, for example, uh, Two Birds um, has closed. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting one because it only been acquired seven or eight months. So it... You know, you never know exactly how long these deals come to take place, but it would have been acquired at about the time that Stone and Wood was in negotiations with uh, Lion for the sale. And uh, you know, yeah, look at the exact timing. I, I probably can't comment on that. I wasn't in right yep. in the people's circle with the founders. I, I think what we we saw in Two Birds was, uh, you know, first and foremost, fantastic people again, spearheaded by Jane and Danny, but. Um, in a, in a similar way to Stone and Wood, uh, a business with a purpose that transcended just brewing and has a legacy beyond this closure as well. First and foremost, uh, women in brewing. And and at the time they started, there, there weren't many, but we now see a great legacy that they've helped build and those who have been uh, mentors and um, inspiration to a lot. And then in later years, definitely diversity, inclusion in a more broad sense. Um, so that, you know... There's no other way to put it, but it was unfortunate that we couldn't. We had belief that we could, because we believed in what two birds were, were about. We had belief that we could bring the performance back to where they wanted it to be, as well as we wanted it to be. And sadly, um, it wasn't the case. Each brand and brewery do have to stack up in their own in their own way, and 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 it just wasn't able to resonate enough with consumers ultimately. And it's been a bloody tough market, and mm. as I think even evidenced by this kind of subject matter of your podcast, Matt, the kind of change from talking about beer styles to it's very much a business-centered um, podcast at times with closures and, and mm. reporting. And then I think that's just a nice one. I guess it's a, um, it's a clear indicator, even by virtue of your podcast content, of where the industry's matured. And I saw you at the CBC earlier in the year, and we both saw the same story happening in the US, and it's also happening in New Zealand. So two birds... Um, legacy and, and what Danny and Jane uh, produced and, and, and put together will, will, will continue to have an impact on the industry. But, you know, it was a very sad thing to have to close. Are you running the ruler over you know, another very small brand like Fixation? You know, is, is, is its future secure now that it's been brought under the um, umbrella or is, is you know, are we still potentially going to see some restructuring going ahead? We're constantly looking at the, as I said before, the composition of our craft portfolio, but I think we see a lot of opportunity in Fixie, yep. particularly down in Victoria, southern states, and um, it's made great inroads largely organically. And I think with the with the structure that that Rich, myself, and Jason um, have put into place, I think you'll see that brand flourish even more. So, really excited what we can do with that core portfolio of brands within that um, master brand. But then, what, how we innovate off of fixation as a whole, yeah. So where do you see the, Richard talked about CBC and we had some fairly solemn presentations at CBC. Um, we've seen a number of closures in, in Australia at the moment, certainly a lack of growth. Where do, do Lion, you know, Fermentum as a subunit, but then Lion as a, as a bigger business, see the future of beer at the moment? So obviously, as um, as Rich just mentioned, and, and as you're well aware of in your previous uh, episodes in your podcast, the, the market's incredibly difficult and it has been for a couple of years now. Um, look, we're, we're seeing further rough seas ahead. I, I don't think the, the market, the category is going gonna, is gonna to be particularly rosy in the, in the short term. But looking more closer to home within the craft market, I think the, um, from what we're seeing, the signs are that, that craft 
um, as a segment within the category is going to be a little bit more successful than what the broader category, the shape of the broader category How looks so like. in terms of volume growth or profitability? Volume. Just okay. talking about volume at the moment. Not necessarily value, but value, as we know, in, in craft is um, by virtue of the price charged, it, we're generally seeing more profitable outcomes. Mm-hmm. But um, within craft, but from a volume perspective, we're seeing it um, outperforming what the category looks like, but the category is looking like it's going to um, see some negatives in front of those numbers over the next couple of years. Really? Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, beer has been in decline for a substantial period that's, of time. That's right. That's right. But you see volume growth in, in the craft category? I see the, We see the craft category outperforming the category as a whole. Okay. But still seeing some decline in okay. craft, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's... It's one of the things we've talked a lot about on the podcast uh, is that beer's brand seems to have suffered. You know, the, what the, the core That's right. value promise of beer as a thing um, rather than elements within it. Do the big brewers need to take some responsibility for not having invested more heavily in the perception of beer? Um, you know, chasing you know, market trends you know, uh, from time to time that they haven't actually focused on what makes beer as a noble category valuable to consumers? I think it's a... The, the, the category itself, the performance of the categories is obviously shaped by consumer needs and wants. Mm. Um, I, I, I think... But consumers a, are going to make decisions based on the value that they see in something right. as well. That's right. Um, so, That's you right. know, uh, uh, there's always a short-term need to chase what consumers want, but longer term, the industry, and I'm highly critical of small craft brewers as well for chasing, you know, milkshake IPAs mm. and things like that. Of course. Um, and, and infantilizing a segment of the, the beer. But the people who can really have the resources to invest as a category would be the two large brewers. Has Lion just sort of said, well, the market's always going to decline. We might as well just chase growth where we can find it. Or is there a bigger category play that can be? I, I don't think so. When when I look at closer to home again at um, the likes of Stonewall Pacific Ale and the growth that it's found, and even with a younger consumer, which the category has struggled with um, over a number of years, I see um, the, the shining lights within the category that we can all look at and, and learn from. Success does leave clues. And I think the likes of um, Pacific Ale, which has a strong brand and a, and a brilliant liquid, um, signpost the way for success, I think, for, for all brewers, not just big, but um, large and small. I think strength of brand is incredibly important and um, a commitment to innovation. You know, you talked in your last podcast with Wayne, Wayne Gretzky, right? It's going to where the puck is going. So meeting the needs of consumers now and tomorrow is incredibly important. We know the needs and wants of consumers are constantly changing. Look at um, people looking for um, mindful choices, for instance, in, in what they do, not only in the category, but the fuel they put in their cars and how they operate in the world. So we need to meet those needs um, in the category in order to keep it healthy, notwithstanding the fact that the beer is is still from a category it's still a healthy not from a um, nutritional perspective but in its in its equity it's still a healthy category but even we, though it's in decline well we're seeing declines across a number it's a tough market out there right so i think we're taking leaps with um, the way we're innovating in craft to meet those needs and the way that i'm um, stoned with through counterculture it's content releases 
the way that um, limited releases and the innovation that Little Creatures continues to commit to. Um, Pacific Ale just as a single brand within our portfolio is just an absolute, um, it's lightning in a bottle if you like and it's, and it's winning people back into um, the category or those who have never been into the category, it's inviting them into it. So I think it's doing a brilliant job at that. But how, again, these are these feel like little skirmishes within a much bigger battlefield. You know, uh, do you think that beer is a desirable choice for you know uh, people under thirty? The way that you know, I'm fifty three, and you know, beer was just what you drank. Um, and then we saw some very effective campaigns from um, you know the over beer campaign and. Um, you know, as, as a way, well, if you, if you don't really like beer and you've been pretending all along, here is something for you. Beer has never really maintained, mounted that sort of campaign to sell itself as being a, a, as a, just a broad category, um, something that people should choose over wine or spirits or, you know, RTDs or in, anything like that. Um, and I yeah, get a feeling that the brewing industry has chased changing tastes and you know lowered the bitterness of mainstream beers or added fruity flavors to beers when but that has been done in something that hasn't been building uh, you know the attractiveness of beer as a, as a drink for everybody yeah i think within craft i mean focusing on craft we're looking at some of the research we've done on <coughs> little creatures and stone and wood our two tentpole um master brands within the portfolio you look at what we're doing um, that is attractive to – I'm talking particularly recruiting um, the legal drinking age into to 30, those consumers into the category or reintroducing into the category. A lot of it is around flavour, yes, so Pacific Ale use that quite often, or little hazy lager, which a little creature's released not that long ago, but also through discovery, so in- innovation, and that can be discovery through the way we um, – deliver our brand to market through Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, for instance, for little creatures. So new and interesting ways to introduce the category to the next generation of beer drinkers to make it young, fun, vibrant and exciting. I think it's our duty to do that. And I I believe that craft is doing it maybe better than anyone else at the moment. Little Creatures is a really interesting brand. Again, it was, you know, I trace the modern craft, the craft beer growth that we've seen over the last 23 years to Little Creatures launch in 2000. There were brewers that predated that, but Little Creatures was the one that really ignited the excitement that we saw with such a, you know, Phil Sexton is a genius um, on so many levels. And But the beer itself, it never seemed to achieve the potential that, you know, it, it seemed to have in its early days. Um, you know, what is the challenge with a beer like Little Creatures Pale Ale? Um, everyone knows it. You know, it's it's one beer that no one can accuse um, Lion post ownership of having dumbed down or you know negatively impacted in terms of the flavour and the quality. But it just has never actually grown. I mean, I believe Stone and Wood Pacific Ale is now a bigger beer than it um than little creatures pale ale you know what's what's happened there i i don't think it's anything to do with the um the liquid i mean i was talking to richie about it not long ago and he can remember the shoes he was wearing the first time he had a little creatures pale ale yeah, i remember where i was the first yeah. time I had little creatures and i think pale we all ale. did yeah. it was a formative in in your exploration within the category so um 
parking liquid. I don't think it is the liquid. No, Cause, cause I don't think it is either. Well, we often, not the quality of the liquid, but is it the flavour of the liquid? Like, no, is, no, is, it, is it too bitter? Is it too adventurous? Is it too... From all the work we've done recently, we're, we're, we're doing some exploratory work on little creatures at the moment because the opportunity for that brand is extraordinary. Um, and I don't want to mark its past performance um, or... or Think about its future success on its past performance. Um, the opportunity is huge on little creatures, and I, I truly believe that. And um, what we're learning at the moment is is that the the pale ale is an extraordinary beer, and I think we all agree that all of us yeah. sitting here right now do. And and that's um, unanimous. My, everyone that we talk to agrees. We just haven't given that brand not not the the beer, but the mm. brand yeah. the opportunity to flourish the way we we, we should have. So. Um, we're excited about taking little creatures to the next level through one pale ale, but also around how we innovate and and what the future plans are for the site in Fremantle. So we're really excited about the future of little creatures. So it's a, a, a it's been a branding issue, not a beer issue. That and again, I'm not sneaking in criticism of, of <laughs> no, no, line. No. It's, it's you know the thing that I'm that taxes my mind is. Craft beer was kicked off. Everyone wants flavour, yes. but we haven't really seen a mainstream market want flavour um, as much as we might have expected. And we're now seeing a lot of the original craft brewers bring out much lighter flavoured, you know, Japanese lagers and that style of thing. Um, and, and that's where the, the question is going. You know, is little creatures always going to be a little bit limited because of the how bold the flavours are? Yeah, and not just little creatures, but all beers of that category. Because yeah, it's, I think once you've it's, it's the same challenge for a lot of craft brands, I imagine, in that you've got, uh, you've got this tent pole, what was in Pale Ale, a trailblazing liquid. And to the scale at which you can get that, um, that product to is to be determined, to be seen. And I think we need to give that more opportunity to grow and get into more people's hands because it's a stunning beer. But then under the master brand, so you have your Pale Ale doing a brilliant job of delivering flavour to those who need it. And then how out of that master brand you can deliver craft credentials on potentially easier drinking beers mm-hmm. within craft. I see that potentially being the opportunity for little creatures. And again, we're doing some work on that at the moment to understand that. Richie, I don't know if you have a view on that. Uh, I mean, perhaps the other consideration is um, thinking back to that first time I had the creatures pale. Dreaming of it. Dreaming. It was a dreamy. It was uh, actually exported to New Zealand and I snagged some of the very few. Contraband. And at the time, I actually thought, wow, it's just popping aroma-wise, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Now, if I, had, I had one recently, and I, I think gen, genuinely um, perhaps a hoppy expectation, if you like, of consumers, and myself included, is that quite a high end such that the Little Creatures Pale Ale almost seems to be quite a subtle pale ale in terms of, its, um, in terms of that nose. It hasn't lost that beautiful, um, that beautiful aroma that we all sort of – intrinsically can recall at, at a moment when we put that to our nose or to our mouth and 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 in that regard i feel like perhaps um it's it's that's not something what will hold it back that it's it's not so hoppy or bitter that it'll actually um stand in the way of people drinking it in, in greater volumes so we, you know we're very excited I'm personally very excited, having been part of Fermentum, for little creatures to come into um, Fermentum Craft Beer Co. Um, it's just an absolute amazing opportunity. And um, particularly, like you say, it's it's one of those beers that is universally loved and is perhaps seen as the epicentre of this fantastic craft beer movement that's now 
you know, we're starting to push up towards 25 years. And, um, but there's not many bears that everyone universally will nod to and doff their cap. And I'd say Little Creatures Pale Ale would, would sit in that category. But I guess, what does it say about the beer market when you know it, it was the one that created such excitement, and then eight years later, Pacific Ale launched, and you know one of the many, many, many times I'm wrong was the first time I tried Pacific Ale and was disappointed because that was at the height of the craft beer IBU battles, and you know, everything was bigger and bigger and bigger. And the genius of Pacific Ale was it realised that people actually want something that is a little bit lighter, a little bit lower alcohol, and a little bit crisper. And it benefited from reading that market. It really did. And, you know, Stonewood, always about brewing beers that were simply good to drink. Even notwithstanding the IBU race, etc., really retained that Green Coast Lager, Cloud Catcher, now Cloudy. And really interesting to see in the US, as you would have noticed as well, Matt, um, a big return to those core range, keep it sim- simple beers that really were the flagships for Bells or New Belgium, and um, and also smaller in- new entrants starting with lagers or specialising in lagers. Uh, not only that, having talked to a lot of brewers within Australia as well as the US and New Zealand, a lot of portfolios have been rationalised to go back to those simply easy, uh, easy to drink and great to drink beers, and I think that's the general trend. Pale Ale certainly sits right... Uh, and that's what I'm asking. You know, right it, 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 yeah. His little creature's a prisoner of it's too much flavour, whereas Stone and Wood read that market, and now we're seeing even lighter flavoured beers you know, getting uh, a bit of an ascendancy as well. Look, in my mind, I don't think it's, you know, in a comparison-wise, it's, 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 um, it's a beer that's too hoppy or otherwise. I just think it's beautifully balanced. Yeah. That, that's how I... And, and that's... But that's you. I, I guess. I'm, oh, sorry, what yes, is the what yes. is the market? You know, what does the market? You know, the, the biggest part of the market want um, for beer? We're still saying. I mean, within craft, the the biggest, um, a big, the biggest section within that pie chart within craft is is pale ale still. Um, so it's it's still well accepted and well known. So we should assume that it's it's well understood and and um, it's obviously data tells us it's well consumed. And when we've got what we'd all, well, I'd certainly agree, and Richard probably with me on this, is that it is the best pale ale in the market, that that we should have sure footing to, to find further growth in that. Um, so I don't think, and from the, the work that we've recently done, the liquid isn't as challenging as what we had maybe thought it was. Okay. Uh, and w- which, is, which was of, of part a surprise to us, um, a pleasant surprise, mind you, that there is an opportunity to take that, that product out of a brilliant master brand to more people. And does that, to, to your former question, does an amazing job for the category as well. We recently um, had Dr. Tim Cooper give evidence at a parliamentary inquiry. I'm not sure if you saw the coverage of that, um, where he was talking about how hard it is to get taps. Um, and one of the things that really ignited the craft beer movement was the dynamism of the market. And uh, we saw more and more publicans putting a, a wide array of beers on and it created a huge um, you know, enth- enthusiasm for beer. More recently, it sounds like there's been a move back towards um, publicans just wanting a, a smaller range from the, the, the two big brewers. Do you think that there is a risk that the two big brewers locking in too much control over taps loses that excitement at, at the tap, even though you do have broad... Um, portfolios these days, you know, largely through acquisition. 
I mean, what I see, I, I, I'll go back almost to what you mentioned. You know, two thousand creatures came out, and it feels I feel very fortunate to be part of what's been a generational change in bit essentially, and having um, started in the brewing industry uh, just at the start of uh, the genesis of all that, and it it seems like a um, it just hasn't stopped, and we've got to the point. And I can say this from both sides of the coin, having been part of Stonewood as independent and otherwise, that access to those taps and that market um, has been sustained, and you know, uh, there's never been so much choice either in pack or on tap. Can't substantiate the claims you've just made around as it shifting back towards the two um, the two larger players. But Although, you know, one of those claims came from Stone and Wood before the sale, where you know I, I was given a contract that Stone and Wood was specifically named in a contract for a line venue that Stone and Wood couldn't be ranged. So it has been an issue for Stone and Wood in the past, and now Stone and Wood is in that camp of being part of the line you know, uh, army against in, in, uh, other taps. Yeah, I mean, look, what didn't hold back stone, stone and wood at all, as you know. I mean, we really broke through all those barriers and um, and that was a success. To an extent, you've, I, I, I guess a lot of your growth has come from access to Lions taps that you were previously locked out of. Post-purchase, but, you yeah. know, we were at substantial volume leading up to the purchase, as you well know. So um, it wasn't a barrier at, um, and, and it's super competitive. I feel fortunate to have so much choice and, and there's all it is a, it's a maturing market isn't it it's it's anything from um some of the older garter brewers new startups it could be brew-led venues we're seeing retailers it's the entire and and all to be expected in my mind but has never been so competitive so what will we see now that the craft brands are all under fermentum what what are the next steps what do we have any uh new product development uh that, that we're likely to see are we going to see, see anything uh coming out in the pipelines coming into summer well you know from i um, i always speak from the brewer's perspective what actually you know i'll throw to ed here because it's a branding piece but what i've always loved about fermentum stone and wood and and we'll have with fermentum craft beer co is a lot of innovation being brewing led and yes we use the insights from the market and ed will speak to that but um, always feel like having brewers at the at the pointy end of, of, of what's out in the market. I've got a couple of sneak peeks to show you after the podcast too, Mountain. I always like that. Okay, but, um, oh, there you go. Sorry. But, yeah, We're look, not going to be able to capture them on mic, unfortunately. Well, we'll give you the scoop at some <laughs> stage. But look, um, he'll get them in the mail probably. Uh, but look, well, look, we absolutely did sit on that. And it's about what the balancing act against that core range and being principled on, um, on focus on... on on, on the core beers that we know are the flagships of the portfolios, but also we can't lose our sense of innovation and the excitement, not only for the drinkers, but I actually think for the our team ourselves, you know, our brewers might be the marketing team or otherwise. Ed, thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there. We've we got a core range that the consumers know and love. Did they, were you talking about the Stone Wood core range or the Fermentum across all of the brands? All, all, all of the brands. But, I mean, focusing on maybe Stone and Wood and Little Creatures, we the... The innovation pipeline on Stone and Wood's particularly interesting because we the, the commitment to counterculture, for instance, um, limited releases that we deliberately keep limited, so um, they sell out and they're fresh and they don't sit on shelves. But to Rich's point around, um, yes, they're for our drinkers and yes, they're for our customers, our retail partners, or our on-premise customers. But for an engagement in our in our teams. For our brewers, our marketing teams, our sales teams, across the board, 
constantly finding innovative ways to develop new liquids or new formats, new ways to market, certainly keeps this engagement um, and and I guess reinforces that feeling of of somewhat independence within the Fermentum Craft Beer Company, which which we're we're holding on to dearly. Do you look at the portfolio across? All of the brands, you know, so Fixation, um, Cozzy, um, because I guess Cozzy and Cloudy Pale these days, you know, they're, they're in a similar sort of space. That's you know, right. Little Creatures has got a Pacific Ale. Um, yes. Stone and Wood has got the Pacific Ale, you know. Uh, will we see some, um, you know, rationalisation across those to, you know, so you're not having multiple SKUs in the same um, flavour profile? The best way to do it, Matt, is to, geographically. Okay. So Little Creatures Pacific Ale, it still plays an important role for us in Western Australia. Um, Cozzy, as a, another great pale ale, plays a specific role for us around the Snowies and, and mm. ACT and, and certain parts of New South Wales, whereas Cloudy has a broader reach and is a national play for us. So, okay. so we can have a really smart geographical play for those particular products where we see there being room for more than one of them, like Pale Ale, yes. Pacific Ale probably as well in, in Western Australia, where we also have a footprint for Stone and Wood Pacific Ale as well. So it geographically helps us to break up that portfolio. Again, this is potentially a very unfair question, but where do you see the gaps in your portfolio are at the moment? You know, If, if you look across the whole line, where would you like to have a really strong um, performer? Uh, and, and again, we've just seen Bolter come out with a Chaveza, like a... a um, you know, a very light uh, Mexican lager. Um, we'll wait and see. You know, will we see you playing in that space, or is that what Green Coast uh, Crisp is already? I'd love your view on that, Matt. Where, where do you reckon the gaps are in the in the portfolio? In your portfolio, yeah. oh, I might have to charge you some consulting yeah, okay, dollars. Okay, okay, yeah, six minute blocks. Yeah. Well, again, I mean. I, 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 if we're playing state of origin, um, yes. if we're looking at the uh, Fermentum craft portfolio and the CUB craft portfolio, where would your money be on the uh, who's got the stronger team? Oh, Fermentum every day. <laughs> day. Oh, Loaded question. But it is. But, but in all seriousness, where um, Rich, myself, and and Jace talk constantly around the strength, and I know we we joked about it earlier, but the strength of our portfolio, we're really happy with the the makeup of our craft portfolio, and we believe it across all the beer styles that are required to win in the market, to deliver sustainable growth and meet the needs of, of drinkers now and tomorrow, we, we think we've got a really, really great team on our side. Yeah, look, team and the brands and absolutely back, uh, back yeah, into the hill. We, we drink them all ourselves. We, you know, you can see when you get the staff allocations, what's hot, what's not. We have some worthy rivals. You know, that's the way we think of it. But we're more focused on ourselves and what's next for us in the pipeline. Um, as well as the existing brands, what potential do you think we can reach? And that's, that is the exciting um, mandate uh, the three of us have got. Um, very fortunate to have a huge, talented team um, that we have the privilege, to be honest, pretty humbling and privileged to be able to lead th- this crew. And, um, and we, we were all guns blazing on, that, on what we've got and, and what might come down the pipeline. And we can also when we talk, and when I was talking team, I was, I was I was referring to a state of origin reference, and there were our brands. But um, with regards to our brands, when we look at what are we missing in the market, we're constantly looking at what the opportunities are. And I think it's less so around what brands are we missing, 
But what products? What, what? And, and that's where I was going. Yes. Yeah. So, so w- 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 maybe if you tell me, you're actually telling me where your next move is going to be. So uh, you know, we I'd, wouldn't uh, want to give up all our. So you want to know where that. the puck's going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just wondering where you, yeah, where, where you think the market's going, or where you think that you are a little bit uh, short suited. Well, in my mind, and, and it. Um, sorry, this, second, this could be risky coming from the brewer. Oh, it's a ris- always risky from the supply <laughs> supply side comments. But I, I do think we're actually well placed, to be honest with you. And I say this to some extent based on observations in the US, where we saw a real return to core range and just beers simply made well and balanced. And it might be a seven percent IPA, like the Bell's beer, but my goodness, that was a drinkable and perfectly made beer. And we're uh, blessed with a portfolio that has many of those beers. Not to say that there aren't going to be future opportunities. We have to keep our eye on the ball. But um, really, I think we've got a job to do with the the incumbent products um, and, and lucky to have a pretty strong arsenal there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the products that we have, I'm going to parrot myself, but the Pacific Ale, the Cloudies, the Little Creatures Pale Ales, the list goes on. The mm. IPAs within fixation, some stunning beers that we have. We're doing a disservice not focusing on them and getting them to as many consumers as we can while looking at what the future innovation looks like. And that's certainly our strategy at the moment. Look, just looking at the time, I think that's probably, it's not where I necessarily want to leave it, but I think it's where we'll have to leave it. So hopefully we'll get a, uh, you know, maybe in six months' time uh, when you've had a chance to bed down the new structure, we can uh, do a little bit of a uh, first half review of, of the match. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> Ed, Rich, thank you very much for joining us on Beers Conversation. Thanks very much. Thanks, Thanks Cheers. And that was Ed Jamison and Richard Crow. If you work in the brewing industry and are listening to this, you're not alone. Our listener feedback is that Radio Brews News is where the brewing industry and the decision makers turn for their insights and analysis. So it's the perfect audience for you to reach for your message as well. Now more than ever, you should be investing your marketing spend in media that gets results and is heard. Just ask businesses such as Rallings and Bluestone Yeast about the reach and impact that our podcasting advertising has. If you would like to find out more, shoot through an email to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise. We'll be back next week with another conversation and then back with our regular Brews News Week programming next Friday. Thank you all and thank you for listening. Listener.